Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here today. If you're visiting, we're glad you're here. Uh, we hope you will come back and join us again whenever you can. And if you are a repeat visitor, we are glad you are here as well. Good to see everyone again. This morning, we're going to talk about uh, one quality of God that I think is important, but it comes with a caveat, a beware. And so I want to characterize that by the following prayer that I'm sure someone has, has given to God or said to God at some point or other. Lord, why haven't you given me patience yet? Sometimes we get impatient over the fact that we want patience. I want us to look at how God is described in terms of being patient. Since we are to become more and more like God, the verses that describe God's patience and the qualities that God possesses should also have us look at our own lives, look at ourselves, and ask how like God are we compared to where we ought to be. So follow along with me this morning. We'll have simply, primarily, just some verses up here today. God is patient. Picking up with our first verse comes from Psalm chapter 86, verse 15. We read, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. What an interesting word to use for patience. That's what long-suffering means. Someone who has suffered a long time apparently is still suffering, and that's because they haven't yet stopped what is causing the suffering. They are putting up with it. They are being patient with it. Uh, for all the mothers in the audience, we are so grateful that you were long-suffering with each of us when we were children. Uh, sometimes being a mom means being very, very long-suffering. I've used in the last month the phrase where a child says to mom, Mom, I sure love you. And the mom said, I sure wish you showed it more by how you behaved. <laughs> Sometimes that's very true. But here, the psalmist says that God is a God full of compassion. God is a God who's very gracious. And that God is long-suffering. Well, Look at our own lives and look at perhaps our own pasts. We are very, very, should be very, very, very glad that God has been very long-suffering with each of us. Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 6. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. If you look at the verse we looked at previously, just the previous slide, God is a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. And now look at this one. The Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. There's going to be a very consistent message from all of these verses. And the reason we're going to look at a number of verses is to continue to pound that home to us that God is long-suffering, that God is patient, that God is full of goodness, that God is full of mercy, and 
God is full of truth. Here, uh, with God passing before, as it were, Moses, uh, we are told that God said himself that the God, the Lord God, was merciful and gracious and again, long-suffering. He suffers long with his people who so many times continue to disappoint him. This over in the New Testament, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. Let's take it, this is a little longer. Let's take a look at this one. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let's stop right there for a moment. That introductory phrasing here is saying that Jesus died for sins once for all. One time Jesus died, one time there was a death that covered sins. There's no need for any additional sacrifice. There's no need for any additional offering for any of our sins. The death of Jesus, one time in history, paid the price for all time. And notice the phrasing here, the just for the unjust. Who's the just? Jesus was the just one. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life. Jesus is the one, the Bible tells us, had had no sin in his life. The just, the only just one who ever lived, died for the rest of us life. None of the rest of us could ever call ourselves just. Not in terms of the whole view of our lives. Maybe we have been just in terms of without sin for an hour or two this morning. Maybe today, you know, if, if we were really watching, maybe yesterday, over time, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the just died for the unjust. Jesus died for all of us. Why? Why did Jesus die for us? In order that he might bring us to God. We had separated ourselves from God. The death of God has the death of Jesus has brought us to God. What he did was reconcile us to God. Broke down the barrier that we had set up between ourselves and God. And his death, by abolishing that barrier, allows us to partake of that grace that God offers to us and come back to him. Jesus had been put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. We also should have died to the flesh, the way of living and being renewed in our spirit, in which, notice this is a little odd thing here, in the spirit, in which he also went, in the spirit, Jesus also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. There's a lot of history in the remaining part of that verse. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Jesus' death allowed him to actually take salvation to those who had already died as well. God's salvation is not merely for people who have lived and died after the death of Jesus. If you think about it, somebody that died in B.C. 10, 10 years before uh, the time of the Christian age, died before Jesus paid the price for all sins. But what about people that died before the offering was made? 
Those people died and they have been in what I like to call the holding tank, the waiting room where all of us who die go. So when Jesus died on the cross, there were a lot of people who had been trying to live for God but whose lives had sin in them. That's like our lives today. What's the difference with those people and us? We have access to the grace of God now that will continue to cleanse us from sin if we're following after God. But what about the people that had died before Jesus ever came? Jesus' blood, as it were, went backward as well and cleansed the sins of people who lived before and lived and died before he ever came to the earth. That's really the import, the, the meaning of this part of the passage. When were these people disobedient? When had they died? Some of them, the remaining part of it says, had died back during the, even the days of the flood. When the patience of God, God's hand of wanting to destroy the earth, was tested during the time that Noah was preparing and building the ark. Noah didn't build that ark. It wasn't a prefab ark that came out of a kit. It took Noah and his apparent sons several years to build this large of a boat craft to save a small portion of humanity and, and animals. Well, God had already decided, I'm going to wipe the face of the earth clean. He had already made that decision. But he held off long enough for Noah to have completed the ark. You know, it's, it's like trying to hold a building up that's on fire to let the few people who were still in the building escape somehow and then God's patience was tested. God's patience, the patience of God was kept waiting and kept holding off what was due to the people for their behavior in the days of Noah. Number four, book of Joel back in the Old Testament. Joel 2, 12 through 14. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend, tear your heart, not your garments. After all that the people of Israel had done in terms of leaving God, which is what most of the prophets are talking about in the books of the Old Testament that are the prophetic books, God says, even after all this time, even now, return to me with your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. If your heart's in the right place, it generates those kinds of behaviors when you acknowledge what we have done that has not been what God wanted. And rend your heart, not your garments. It's real easy to put on a public show, right? It's real easy to make a show of trying to change. You know, oh, somebody shouts and all this kind of stuff, and they want to tear their coat to indicate how sorry they are, but on the inside, they're just thinking, once everybody leaves, tomorrow I'll be back to the normal way I live. Well, people in this day and age and in the olden times would often tear their garments when they were really upset about something. They would, they would tear the back of their jackets, right? God isn't as concerned with some kind of outward show of anything as he is about whether we're really willing to make a change even now, return to me, rend your heart, tear your heart open so that you can understand what kind of situation you're in. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, 
abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a great offering and a libation for the Lord your God. Who knows whether he's in fact going to leave compassion and kindness behind. God says, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Look at it again. God is slow to anger. Really, truly, being slow to anger is only accomplished if we have patience. When we fire off, when the anger blows up, it's because we have used up apparently a small amount of patience that we have. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I really imagine most of us would probably raise our hand if we could think of a time in the last week, month, year, where we lost our temper or lost our patience with something. You know, hello, it happens to us and the reason it happens is because we were not slow to anger. We ran out of patience. And that's almost always, for us anyway, for me, a sign of selfishness. I don't have any more time to put up with this, fix it, or whatever it may be. We should be so very, very glad and thankful that God is slow to anger. In fact, I suspect the only reason the earth is even still here today is because God is, in fact, slow to anger. The passage that Phil read this morning, Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet, yet, he's slow to anger. Yet, look at the flip side of that. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Sometimes things that parents do have an impact even much further down the line. God is going to take care of the guilty, take care of the people who are not living the way he wants, take care of the people who will not accept the grace that he freely offers. He's slow to anger, but don't take that to mean He's not going to express the anger sometime in the future. So I thought about calling this whole lesson, God is patient yet, because I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I know I'm repeating myself this morning already. The verses are repeating themselves. The same phrasing is used over and over and over again. Why do you usually repeat something? In the old days when some of us went to school, uh, there were these things called multiplication tables, right? You had to learn them. I think it was called by rote, R-O-T-E. You had to pound it, pound it, pound it so that you could be woken up in the middle of the night and say, what's nine times seven? 63, and you go back to sleep or whatever. You had to learn it over and over and over again. It had to be repeated, repeatedly done, repeatedly gone through over and over and over again because it was important. Some foundational things were just important, right? Well, the same language is being repeated in multiple places in the Bible 
by multiple people who wrote the different books because we need to know that it's true. We need to be hit with it from multiple sides over and over again so that we will understand God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger because he abounds in love. But don't forget, there's also a yet. Psalm 148, verse 8. I mean, twice here in the book of Psalms on this page that you're seeing right now. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. If you look at those two, there's just a slight different change of words. He's gracious and compassionate as opposed to compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in love. God wants us to know that he is a very, very patient God because he loves us so much that, as Thurl said in class today with John 3.16, he's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of him. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3, another prophet. Maybe it had been a while since we've read from the book of Nahum. Nahum 1 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, the clouds are the dust of his feet. He's slow to anger and great in power, yet at some point he will punish those guilty. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 15, part of my favorite passage in the entire New Testament. Seeing that all these things are about to be destroyed, what manner of person should you be? That's a good question to ask yourself each and every morning. I haven't done it yet. I really need to. I thought about getting little cards printed that had that verse on it and to ask people, Put that on the door that you, so that you see it when you leave the house or your apartment. Put that in your room on your nightstand. Put it in your bathroom on the mirror. We need to think about that statement all the time. Why? Because when we leave this, this auditorium, when we go out there, there's all sorts of other things that look important. There's all sorts of things out there. There could be jobs. There could be some place where you sleep. There could be some person that you're pursuing. All these things that seem important, but every bit of it is going to be destroyed. All of it. It's all going away. And yet, what do we do so often the entire time we're awake? We're chasing after that kind of stuff. But since it's all going to be destroyed, the real question is that God wants us to be able to think through is, what kind of person should you be? If I'm a person who chases after money, or if I'm a person that chases after a spotless, shiny, expensive car, or I simply want to uh, try to date the, 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 the most famous person that's on the face of the earth, or whatever it may be, that's the kind of person I'm becoming, but I'm chasing after things that are temporary. God is much more concerned that I will become the kind of person on the inside that resembles him. What have we been seeing of how God is describing himself? That he is gracious and merciful, that he's slow to anger, he's compassionate, 
That's what God wants us to become. Since all these things that we see every day looking around us are about to be destroyed, what kind of person ought you to be? We ought to be people who are living holy and godly lives, looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God, by reason of which the heavens being on fire will be dissolved and the elements will melt with very intense heat. But according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, for this reason, beloved, seeing that you looked for these things, be giving diligence that you may be found in peace without spot and blameless in his sight. Since God is coming, since God's going to destroy everything that we see all around us, give some diligence to be the kind of person so that when God sees you, when God sees me, we will be without spot and blameless. How am I going to be able to be without spot and blameless? God's eyes, I will be resembling God in terms of the kind of person I am. I will be kind. I will be merciful. I will be loving. I will be slow to anger. An account of the long-suffering of our Lord and salvation. There's that word long-suffering. The only hope that we have to be saved is God's patience. And even if all of us in here today are the kind of people God wants us to be, and I hope we are, how many people are gathered in here versus people who are outside these doors, even in our town? People that may not even be awake yet, right? People who need to know that God loves them and they need to be changing how they live so that they are kinder, so that they are gentler, so that they are more loving, so that they are slower to anger and all these different qualities that we need to be working on. It's only by the long-suffering of God that we have the opportunity to try to talk to those people, that they have the opportunity to, as the Bible says, come to a knowledge of the truth. The long-suffering of God truly is salvation. So God is patient. He is slow to anger. I always uh, really would like to have an amen to that. I'm so glad of that. He is patient with us. Because he is patient with us, because he is long-suffering with us, we should be patient and long-suffering with others. Yet, I want to look at a couple of verses that talk about the flip side of that. Yet, God is patient. Yet, he's also coming. He's also coming. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Even so, amen. The day is coming when the time for patience will be up. Time's up. Time's up. I hope that's a long, 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 long time from now. Because... We should love our neighbors and the people we are around enough that we pray to God. It's, it's kind of a, a hard thing to think about. We want, we selfishly want the world to be over so we don't suffer as much anymore. So that we can go to the reward God has said he has for us. But if the world ends in five minutes, there are a whole lot of people, people that we know and care about, who will not know God, not be the kind of person God wants them to be, 
when they meet God. And so for that reason, we should also hope and pray that this is a long, long time off so that we have more time to try to influence and change, help change those people. 2 Peter 3, 9-10. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise and some count slackness. Sometimes it's translated slow. The Lord's not slow in bringing about his promise as some people consider it to be slow. But he is long-suffering toward you. He's patient. Being patient means you don't fire off the moment you think about it. He is long-suffering toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but notice, the only way to avoid perishing is to repent. Fancy word sometimes, so what does repent mean? It's an old military term used in the army back then. It meant, we, we would say today, about face. A column of soldiers is marching that direction, and when they repent, they are marching in this direction. But what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for me? If I need to repent, God is saying you're going the wrong way. You are headed towards yourself. You are walking toward a place where destruction is going to be found. About face. Turn around and start becoming the kind of person who's more like God. Who is kind. Who is gentle. Who is patient. Who is slow to anger. I'll say sometimes we have to quit walking in the direction where we're living for what we want our own desires, our selfish way of thinking, quit living for ourselves and start living for God. About face. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will be dissolved with intense heat. The earth and the works in it, all that are therein, will be burned up. That day is coming. The very next verse is the verse we read before. Since all those things are about to be destroyed, what kind of people should we be? Let's put it more intensely. What kind of person? What kind of person should I be? If I could take the time, I'd look at each one of you and stop and look at you. What kind of person should you be? More importantly this morning, what kind of person am I? What kind of person are you? God's very, very long-suffering. He's very slow to anger, but he is coming. My question for you this morning is, are you ready? If you're a member of God's family, you need prayer, you need help to focus your life on being more slow to anger, being more kind and loving and gracious, we can approach God with prayer and ask him to help, to forgive, and everyone will pray with you. If you're not yet a member of God's family, if you're not one who's living for God, you need about to about face. You need to turn around. And the way you do that is to understand what Jesus did for you, understand what you've been doing to yourself, and to begin living for God by changing that direction and die to yourself by being buried in the waters of baptism like behind me so that when you were raised up again, you're a brand new person now living for God. Are we ready? That's the question of the morning as together we stand and sing.